Will you please pray with me? And now, O oh God, silence within us any voice but your own, that hearing your word, we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's first scripture lesson is taken from the seventh chapter of Paul's letter to the Roman church. Let us hear God's word. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. And now turning to the first chapter of the first letter of John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Last month, Carol and I binged on Downton Abbey. 
that luscious Edwardian soap opera, that's really what it is, set in the hills of Yorkshire. What a kaleidoscope of human behavior and human misbehavior. Love and marriage, jealousies, intrigue, birth, death, you name it, it's all there. In one of the later episodes, the townies challenge the Downton staff to a tug-of-war. Now, the townies are big, strapping farmers and carpenters and blacksmiths, while the Downton staff is, are the indoor type, footmen, under-butlers, and so forth. Fair game for a bunch of muscle-bounded countrymen. And then off to the side, there's a bookie taking bets, and most of the money is on the townies. But just before the contest begins, the Downton staff recruit the village grocer, a good friend of ours. He's big and stocky, and he is all they need to pull the townies into the mud of defeat. Now, let's admit it, you and I are being pulled in opposite directions every day we live. Our Savior is at one end of that rope, drawing us toward the high ground of holiness. Sin is at the other end, trying to drag us into the mud of depravity. Here is Paul's take on this, this tug-of-war, this cosmic tug-of-war. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so for Paul, it's a contest between the law of God at one end of that rope and the law of sin at the other. Now, John, in his letter, sees no fewer than four figures at each end of that rope. At one end, there is light and truth and forgiveness and righteousness. At the other end, there is darkness, lying, unrighteousness, and sin. Now, sin, of course, is not a popular topic these days. Has it ever been? You won't overhear folks talking about sin while sipping their lattes at Starbucks. Nor, for that matter, will you hear about sin from many pulpits these days. I suspect that's because none of us likes to be called a sinner. Sinner, that's, that's other people. The man who shot and killed so callously eight people in San Jose this week, oh yes, he's a sinner. Those who stormed the United States Capitol, yeah, they're sinners, but not me, not we. Oh, we may shave the truth once in a while, but that's, 
That's just a minor misdemeanor. And if somebody calls us on it, we can blame our genes for our little mischief. Sociologist James Hunter offers a more tasteful excuse. He's observed that these days sin is confined mainly to dessert menus, such as chocolate binge, positively sinful. Ah, but if we don't binge on chocolate mousse, it won't harm us when we step on the scale tomorrow morning. And if we don't bend the truth too often, we can claim to be, well, if not saints, at least not sinners. But the apostle will not let us get away with it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, John writes. And he's not speaking about gang members in South Central. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, he says later in this chapter. It is to believers that John issues this warning. It is to you, to me. Well, then, how can we deal with this tug of war between darkness and light that is so deeply entrenched within us? I found a word in John's letter that, like that grocer in Downton, has no opposing force on the other end of this spiritual contest. It stands alone. In fact, it occurs four times as if John wants to underscore its power in our battle with sin. In the original Greek, it's called koinonia. In English, fellowship or sharing. There's a building on the other side of the patio here that's called Fellowship Hall, and it's so named because we gather there from time to time to share a meal or to listen to a lecture or simply to enjoy camaraderie with our friends. Yes, but biblical koinonia goes so much deeper than that. We have koinonia, we have fellowship, John writes, with Jesus. That is, we share in the benefits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the promise and gift of eternal life. And then John adds, we have koinonia, we have fellowship with one another, meaning that we are to share with one another our bumps and our bruises in our battle with sin. And so it's as if we were checking in to a sanitarium for sinners every time we gather on this campus. It is here that we receive spiritual hygiene. It is here that we, we revel in God's sterilizing forgiveness. It is here on this campus that we master God's strengthening exercises of prayer and repentance, generosity, 
Think of that for a moment. San Marino Community Church, a sanitarium for sinners, a home for spiritual healing. I spent my teenage years in a church that was more like a courtroom for criminals than a sanitarium for sinners. You've heard of the big five sports. We had the big five sins, smoking, drinking, gambling, dancing, and yes, even going to movies. That was one of them. And then every Sunday morning, we were indicted for our sins and invited to come forward to the altar to get right with the great judge of the universe. My wife's church here in Pasadena was even more severe. Women could not cut their hair. They could not wear makeup of any kind. Jewelry, jewelry was a no-no. So when we got married in her church, we assumed that we could not exchange rings during the ceremony. Ah, but our pastor, George Moran, was very understanding. He told us, now look, when you kneel for prayer during the middle of the ceremony, when no one can see you, exchange your rings, which is exactly what we did. But then, when we got our pictures back from the photographer, we saw the other pastor who was officiating at our ceremony with his eyes wide open and his jaw practically touching his chest. He was so shocked at what we were doing. Don't worry, said the photographer, I'll just airbrush him out of the picture. Now, I have long since airbrushed that courtroom theology out of my life. I now liken the church to a sanitarium where Jesus Christ is the resident physician. His prime purpose here at San Marino is not to condemn us when we sin, but to forgive and to heal and to empower us to do better. And then I see the church not as people sitting in rows looking at the back of somebody else's head, but as a circle where we hold each other's hands and look into each other's eyes and we celebrate each other's joys and we, and we care about each other's pain. In the middle of that circle stands Jesus Christ so that when I look at you, He is there between us, acting as a filter. So whatever may turn us against each other gets filtered out, gets sifted out, and gets set aside once and for all. In this sanitarium for sinners, we see each other through the eyes of Jesus Christ, and we offer each other the right hand of fellowship, knowing that however you may have sinned, there but for the grace of God go I. The grace of God. Did you know that the Apostle Paul began and ended every letter he wrote in the New Testament with the word grace. 
In some of those letters, he had to lower the boom on his readers for their divisiveness, their envy, their pride, whole catalog of sins. But he always began and he ended with grace. As if to say, no matter how bad your behavior, the Savior is there for you. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. You are surrounded by grace. Several years ago, our friend Kiki Swanson heard me say that about grace. She promptly went home and stitched the names Tom and Carol in the middle of a piece of fabric, and then on every side of our names, she stitched the word grace. Grace above us, grace below us, grace on every side of us. We are surrounded by grace. Here at San Marino Community Church, we want to surround you with grace, with our acceptance, our understanding, our prayers, and our support. Let us come alongside you and grasp your end of the rope. Yes, sometimes we will forget. Sometimes we may fail. But our intention before God is to keep faith with you so that by pulling together we may worship gratefully and serve gladly, surrounded by the amazing forgiving and never-failing grace of God. Amen.